Good morning. I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm probably going to wind up coughing my way through most of the lesson this morning. That cold front came through or the wind front came through and messed up my allergies. So, now The title for my lesson this morning is Jesus, Our Perfect Example. And the scripture that Brother Adam read for us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. We'll, we'll go back to that a few times during the lesson. Um, one of the things that I always try to do when I have the opportunity to, to pray, whether it's beginning or at the end of the lesson, I always try to mention, you know, help us to follow Jesus' example. And that's something I firmly believe in. And today we're going to go through, um, first of all, why Jesus is worthy of being imitated, what makes him a good example. We're going to look at his attitude. We're going to look at his penchant for well-doing, for being a good person, and the fact that Jesus himself was following an example. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. First of all, let's look at a couple of scriptural reasons why Jesus should be our, our example. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Be ye followers of me, even as, also, even as I also am of Christ. Now that is Paul writing to the Corinthians. Be ye followers of Jesus as, as I am. So Paul himself was a follower of Christ. 1 Peter 2, uh, yeah, 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 21 says, uh, For even hereunto were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that we should follow his steps. John verse 13, uh, this is um, verses 1 through 15, where Jesus was washing their feet. He says in verse 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Not speaking literally of washing people's feet, but of being meek and lowly. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here again are his disciples saying that they should be mimicking Jesus. Now let's look at a few different reasons, some, you know, I guess you could call them common sense reasons for us to use Jesus as our example. First of all, he was perfect. He was sinless. He did not make mistakes. He did not make poor choices. He had infinite wisdom that he could draw on to make the decisions that he made. There was never a situation for which he did not have the right answer. There was never a problem for which he did not have the right solution. And there was never a circumstance for which he could not recommend the best advice. His life as well as his will for us, you know, what Jesus wanted his disciples to do, and then, of course, that carries over to what he wants us to do, was all based on the example that he followed, the example that he learned from his Father, from God. Now, it's, it's very important that we distinguish <clears throat> that Jesus was two parts. Yes, he was deity. He was the Son of God. But it's very, very important that we remember that Jesus was human. He was a man. There was nothing supernatural about his body. Um, uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 7 and 8 said, He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, in the NASV translation, that, uh, that part in, chapter, in verse 7 there, he made himself of no reputation, is translated as he laid aside his privileges. 
meaning he, the privileges that he had in heaven, the perfect place, he laid aside those privileges to come down and to become human. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9 talks about how he left the riches of heaven. We've all read that. <clears throat> he took upon himself the form of a bondservant and the likeness of men. And there are several times in John's writing, um, three in particular, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, Second uh, John, verse seven, and First John chapter four, verse two, where he talks about the Word becoming flesh. The Word, of course, in the beginning was the Word, and where Jesus became flesh. Romans one, verse three, he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Hebrews two fourteen and Luke twenty four thirty nine both allude to Jesus' flesh and blood body. And First Timothy three sixteen, speaking of Jesus says God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus was human. He was deity, but he was human. Well, how did those two come together? Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 26. This is the story of the virgin birth, and I'll read it. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when he, she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus." He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing as I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So Jesus was human. He was born of a woman. He was conceived by God. He was deity and humanity in the same time. At this, <clears throat> excuse me. Now let's look at some of the characteristics of Jesus's humanity. Number one, he grew. We see in the, in the New Testament, he was born. We see him as a child in Jerusalem, speaking with the doctors, and then we see him as an adult several years later. He grew. He was subject to his parents, just like we as children are today. He hungered. You know, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, we see the instance where he goes out into the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days. This is when the devil tempts him. He, it says that he was hungry. Uh, in John 4, it says he's been traveling, and it says that he was weary with travel. So he was tired. He was human. He was able to tire out. In Luke chapter 8, this is... Uh, while the storm's on the sea, we see him asleep in the bottom of the boat. So he had to sleep. He wasn't, there was nothing supernatural about his body. He was hungry. He was weary. He had to sleep. He had compassion. Remember when he fed the 5,000 people, they were out in the desert, and the people came and said, look, we're in the desert. I'm paraphrasing, of course. We're in the desert. There's nothing for these people to eat. You know, we need to send them away. And Jesus had compassion on them, and from the, the loaves and the fish, he fed 5,000 people. And uh, in John verse 11, uh, the accounting there of the death of Lazarus, we have the, the shortest verse in the New Testament. We see Jesus wept. 
He cried. And, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, excuse me, in Matthew 26, we see that he felt sorrow. He felt agony, trouble. And then on the cross, of course, agony and pain. Jesus was human. It's very important for us to remember that. Even though he was human, he was sinless. 1 Peter 2, um, verse 22, He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. No sin, no guile. He never spoke poorly of someone. Um, he never lied. He was never deceitful. He was never sinful. He was tempted, however. Hebrews 4.15 And then also in Matthew 4 where he was in the wilderness with Satan. He was tempted just like we are. But the question is, what kept him sinless? Um, I, I, I don't believe that he was sinless because of his deity. If, if that was the case, he wouldn't be much of an example. We know God doesn't sin because God is God and God is perfect. That's not a question. Why did Jesus not sin? Was it because he's God? I don't think so. He knew God's mind, and he chose to follow God. That's why he did not sin. If Jesus used his deity to be, to be perfect, he wouldn't be much of an example for us. He would not be the human example that we are to follow. No, he didn't sin. Does that lessen Jesus at all? No, I don't think so. Because Jesus made a choice, just like we have a choice. He chose to do God's will. And that's what made him a, a good example for us. James 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is about as good of a description of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 as can be given. Uh, if you guys don't remember, in Matthew chapter 4, uh, let me turn there real quick. I'll read that for us. This is while he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord of thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, and ministered unto him. Let me read again James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Perfect example of how Jesus treated sin. He submitted himself to God. He chose to follow God. And through that, he was able to resist the devil, and the devil fleed from him. <clears throat> and also, Jesus was made perfect through his suffering. This is another thing that kept him sinless. Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And later in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, who in the days of his flesh, 
when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Excuse me. And so now we've built up this foundation of Jesus. We know that Jesus was human. We know that he was perfect. There are scriptural reasons that say so, and then there are common sense reasons that say so, that say Jesus should be our example. So let's look at a few aspects of Jesus that we can read about in the scriptures of things that we should be emulating, things that we should do like Jesus did. First of all, let's look at Jesus' attitude. Now, Jesus' attitude, or I'm sorry, attitude is a person's disposition. You know, it's his frame of mind. Obviously, we all know what attitude is. But more importantly, it's the basis for how one reacts to life. If somebody has a good attitude about life, something bad happens, they're generally going to be okay. They're going to go through it. They're going to push through and, and succeed. Now, Jesus' attitude was perfect. His point of view was always God first, me last, everybody else before me. And let's look at, at a few things uh, that we can pull from the New Testament. Um, Jesus' his, attitude toward meekness, first of all. Now, what do we consider meekness? Now, first of all, it's not weakness with a W. Let's separate that. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is generally allowing somebody else to be in charge. And in Jesus' case, it was God. Let God be in charge. I'm going to do what God tells me to do every time, when I can, and that's meekness for Jesus. And again, in John 13, we've mentioned it before, the washing of the disciples' feet. You know, that showed the meekness of Christ. He was setting an example. Here, this man, the Son of God, is washing the disciples' feet. Ultimate meekness, because that is the example that he was given. Now, there was never a time in the New Testament, never a time, when Jesus was not completely dedicated to the will of the Father. There was never a time that he strayed. Yes, he asked in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But it was not God's will, so he accepted it. And he went along. And in John 4, verse 34, <clears throat> when his disciples asked, uh, they asked him if he had had anything to eat. Um, he said, quote, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he even dedicated his actions, you know, he, he was dedicated enough to God to skip eating to make sure that, that what he had to do was done. And in every situation, he did as the father would have him to do even in the face of extreme difficulty, bringing our minds again to Gethsemane, to the cross. You know, the, the song we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Things he could have done, but he didn't, because he was meek and he allowed God's will to control his actions. <clears throat> Let's look, his, uh, uh, Jesus also had a very, very good attitude toward um, a, a willingness to forgive. He himself was... Um, remarkable in that effect. In Luke 23, um, verse 34, we see that, um, Lord, forgive them, they know not what they do. We've all heard that. But I want you to think about that. What had happened to Jesus in the past few hours? He had been arrested somewhere around midnight in the Garden of Gethsemane by soldiers. Um, he had been taken to an illegal trial, or to two trials. He had been beaten. He had been berated. 
He had a crown of thorns shoved on his head, and I'm not talking little bitty rosebush thistles. We're talking thorns. It was crammed on his head. He had been scourged, and I don't know if you have a good mental picture of what scourging is, but if you imagine a couple of leather strips with either pieces of metal or stone on the end of it, it hits you across the back, and it literally rips your skin off down to the bone. That's what being scourged is. It is very painful and, and very horrible. Most people who were scourged died from it whether they lost blood or they just gave out. Um, he was scourged. After he was scourged, he was forced to carry that cross. Of course, he couldn't make it all the way, but he was forced to carry that cross out. He was laid down on the ground, nails in his hands and his feet, and then he was set up there to be crucified. And after all of that, he forgave them. Now, how does that make us feel, say, if somebody lies to us or if somebody steals from us or if somebody, you know, talks bad about us around the workplace or something, even if it's, it's not true, should we forgive them? How, how does that pale in comparison to being crucified to being lied about or something so tiny? That is the example we are to follow. Jesus forgave them of that. So should we. Um, Jesus also had a good attitude towards love. Jesus spoke about love often. Uh, In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man may lay down his life for his friends. Jesus not only laid down his life for his friends, he laid it down for people to come that he would never meet, that would never meet him. For us. He laid down his life for us. Excuse me. He practiced and taught the principles of Acts 20.35. And Acts 20.35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We've all heard that, especially around Christmas time. It's always better to give than receive. Well, Jesus taught that. Jesus lived that. And he set an example for us to do the same. He not only taught his followers to love all men, but even their enemies. He also set the proper example by bidding that all men come to him. All men, sinners, Samaritans, Gentiles, Jews, didn't matter. All men come to me. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus was also very dedicated to well-doing, to doing good things. And even as a child, he went about doing good. You know, in uh, Luke 2, uh, 49, we see him, you know, being about his father's business when he was left in Jerusalem. He was constantly teaching, Jesus was. He told each person that he talked to, each audience, exactly what they needed to hear. When Nicodemus came and asked him, well, what must I do? He said, you must be born again. Of course, we all remember that story. Um, the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, never talked about the living water, the water that that I will give you, you will never thirst again. Uh, When he taught the Pharisees, of course, we know the Pharisees were very much anti-Jesus. When teaching the Pharisees, in every instance, he emphasized the truth in every situation, whether it was to point out a misinterpretation of the law um, or a, a flaw that they had, or even to point out hypocrisy. Jesus always preached the truth. He always taught them the right thing. And when he spoke to the uneducated people, 
He spoke with parables. We all know that there are many, many parables in the New Testament. Jesus told the people or taught them what they needed to know the way they needed to hear it so that they would know it. The uneducated people, just like we teach children stories to teach them things, that's how he spoke to the uneducated ones. Here's a parable. Here's what it means. And they learned it. Now, Jesus... uh, we all know those people who, yeah, that, you know, that needs to get done. Sure, that's a great idea, but they never do it. Everybody knows somebody like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. We need to work on that, get it done, and it never gets done. Well, Jesus was not like that. He didn't just admit a need. Yeah, sure, they need something. He didn't just resolve to do something good. He did it. He was a doer. Numerous healings and miracles, raising people from the dead, you know, and... Um, John twenty one twenty five says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. That's uh, John twenty one twenty five. Jesus did good things. He used all of his abilities, whether they were divine abilities or whether they were normal abilities, to do the work that he was sent to do, first and foremost. And most of all, and this is the... The reason that I wrote this lesson, really, Jesus was following an example. Um, Just as we are to follow Jesus' example, Jesus showed us how to follow an example. And, of course, he followed the perfect example of God. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1, verse 15. Who is the image, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And, of course, John 14, 9. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So Jesus was setting an example by following an example. I don't know if that makes sense. Hopefully it will in a bit. But Jesus was a light in this world. John 1, verse 9 says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And then John 12, verses 44 through 46, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am am come a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. So Jesus was setting an example by following an example. Jesus taught about the love of God. John 15, verses 9 through 14. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that that ye love one another, as I have loved you. See, there's two instances we've read now. You know, if you see me, you don't see me, you see my Father. If you believeth on me, you don't believeth on me, you believeth on my Father. At every instance, he, he passed the buck, so to speak. It wasn't him, it was his Father. Everything he did was because of his Father. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, sorry. <clears throat> Just as... Jesus was the the perfect illustration of the love of God. Love everything. Love your enemies. Love every man. We also should be examples of his love. 1 John chapter 4, 
verses 11 through 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. That's a great responsibility for us. I don't know. Let me, let me read that again. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. That is the example we are to follow, the love of God from us to all men. And Jesus also taught about eternal life. He taught this quite a bit. In John 12, verse 50, uh, these are the words of Jesus. He said, And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Again, the Father. Jesus always, the Father. So we, as children of God, as we follow the example of Jesus, instead of us going, well, pass the buck, I say this, I say that. No, Jesus said this. Jesus did that. We follow the example that Jesus set for us. In John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, this is uh, the instance of Lazarus' death. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus spoke often of eternal life <clears throat> and the reward that was to follow for people that obeyed, for people that followed the example that he was set, that he set for us. Now, in this lesson, we have looked at Jesus specifically. We have looked at the scriptural necessity of following his example. We've looked at some common sense reasons to follow his example. We've looked at the humanity and the deity of Jesus and the importance in understanding why they should be separate, why we need to remember that Jesus was human, why we need to remember that he was also deity. And we've seen several areas where Jesus should be emulated, imitated. His attitude, his well-doing, his willingness to forgive and to follow the example that he was given. Our attitude should mimic Jesus, obviously. We should be, you know, the, the Bible says we should be happy when we are persecuted. We should, we should be joyful because that strengthens our faith. And Jesus was, was, was very much troubled, not, you know, in, in spiritual terms, but in physical terms. He was very much troubled. There was agony. There was suffering. And he overcame it. That is the example we should follow. He went through crucifixion and forgave. Surely we can go through the trials of this life and forgive those who do things uh, against us. His well-doing, you know, Jesus' attitude toward well-doing, we should, we should mimic that. Jesus, every opportunity he had to do good, he did it. Never failed. And, again, we should follow the example that we were given just as Jesus followed the example that he was given. Now, Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, he said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's a song I ask uh, to be led right before the lesson. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. Do you know Jesus is the question. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know why he came? Do you know why he died? His purpose? Well, the plan of salvation is easy. It is simple. 
Hear the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, Mark 16, 15 and 16. Acts 2, 38 says we must repent of our past sins. Romans 10, 9, verses 10 says we must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And, of course, Acts 22, 16, among others, we must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Without baptism, forgiveness of sins is not possible. And, of course, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8 tells us to remain faithful to the Lord unto death. The plan of salvation is set forth. The example that we are to follow has been given to us. It is Jesus. If anybody today is subject to the invitation, we would be more than happy to hear you, to pray for you if you need strength, or to add you to the church. If, it, if you are subject to the invitation, please come forward now as we stand and as we sing.